Welcome to Family Life Today, presented in cooperation with this station by Power to Change. We hope today's program will give you something to reflect on and to encourage you in your relationships. Our hosts are Dave and Ann Wilson. So, heavy topic. Okay. <laughs> you ready for yeah, this? I'm ready. Uh, it's one of those, you better fasten your seatbelt. I know, I just got my Kleenex box. Yeah, you got it out. I mean... So talk about uh, what you think about grief or trauma hitting a marriage. Mm. Like, what percentage of marriages cannot survive a a really heavy trauma? Do you know? So what percentage ends up in divorce? Is that what you're yeah. asking? Out of the 100, maybe 30? A stat that's been quoted often is 80%. And what? I actually did some research to find out that a book was written. They will the, end up in divorce? 80%. Now, let me just say this. Uh, A woman named Harriet Schiff wrote a book called The Bereaved Parent in the 70s, and she quoted even close to 90%. That's been debated. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could be as low as 20%. But either way, it's like, wow, when a a marriage goes through something really traumatic, and today we're going to talk about losing a child, um, a miscarriage. That's a trauma mm-hmm. that a lot of marriages may not survive unless they have a plan. You gotta have a plan mm. to survive any kind of trauma. And Jesus. He's you my gotta plan. Have Jesus <laughs> know that, but you gotta have a plan. And so we've we've got Eric Shoemaker back in the studio. We've already talked to you a little bit about uh your loss in, in four miscarriages, but Eric, welcome back. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean yesterday we talked about you and your wife Jenny have walked through four miscarriages, mm-hmm. which again if you missed yesterday today just listen to it because man you'll cry you'll cry but it was so helpful yeah to hear you uh navigate how you guys have walked through that and you've written a book to men a devotional yeah about how to walk through miscarriage it's called uh ours biblical comfort for men grieving miscarriage and so you give them a 31 day which is great because i i know me i'd be like i can't read 60 days but i could do 31 To help them walk through that. But and you're walking through the book of Luke. Yes. Talk to us about how that grief and trauma impacts a marriage because you've lived it. Yeah. I feel like for Jenny and me, it brought us closer together. Hmm. I, I felt like we've had a lot of suffering, I think, in our marriage. And some of it has been tension between us, you know, and, and well, you, you know how that goes in marriages. And you have five kids. And we have five kids. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you pastor and you counsel and you're going to school and you wor- lead worship. Yes. And, and, you know, yeah. and there's something else you, you said. Oh, and your mother-in-law came to live with you. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Well, she helps out. Yeah, it's too bad there's no stress in your life. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I felt like each of our birth, live births and mm-hmm. each miscarriage brought us closer together because there's that sense that at least we had, you're there, and this is an intimate thing between the two of you. Mm. You're the first two to know about this pregnancy, and you're anticipating this child together. And if you need to go to the hospital or the doctor's office, I, you know, I went with Jenny to see the sonograms and, and all that and hear heartbeats. And so it was a loss that the two of us together could only grieve as deeply as we did, mm. you know. But I know it can be a struggle for men to know, what do I do as a husband and as a father now that we've had this miscarriage? And to add to that, it's a loss. Both parents have lost a child, but this does affect the woman, the, the mother, physically in ways that the father 
obviously is not affected. And so she may have cramping and, you know, all the various issues that can go with a miscarriage and you're not having those. And so you're in a place where you can use your health and strength to be able to care for her in different ways. I've heard some women say that they've watched their husbands and it appears to them as they're watching their husbands that he isn't grieving. And so then she's judging that of saying, did you not care? Mm -hmm. Did you guys go through that at all? I don't recall us ever going through that, but I've heard that a number of times. And there could be various things going on there. On the one hand, it could be a father who doesn't know how to grieve and doesn't know how to show his grief. Maybe the family he grew up in, you didn't he didn't show grief. Or he's trying to be strong for her and so he won't show it. I think it. that's the other thing is because we think of miscarriage as primarily a woman's matter, then he may even feel guilt for grieving. He feels like Because she carried the pregnancy, this is more her miscarriage than it is mine. And that's part of what the title of the book gets at, ours. This is our miscarriage together. And he might be afraid, you know, if I talk about my grief, if I talk about how sad I am, that I'm a mess inside, that I can't deal with things, it might sound like I'm undercutting her grief, the legitimacy and the seriousness of it. And so I'm just going to stuff it down and be the guy who cares for her. And that's not healthy. I find that most mothers in miscarriage want their husbands to grieve with them and alongside them, even if that impacts how the husband can serve them in that time. Uh, Because you've suffered a loss and it's not wrong for you to ask friends to be good neighbors to you and to help out with chores, childcare, meals, all those sorts of things. That's not just for mom. Uh, You two need to grieve together. And, you know, your home is a place that came about by you getting married to each other because you as a husband need a wife. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's why God gave her to you. And to try to manage the household as one when it's supposed to be two that's not healthy for you as well. I'm thinking back at one of our sons and and his wife had three miscarriages before they had any kids. Mm. And so after one of those miscarriages, they called me and they said, could you just come and be here? Mm. And now as I'm listening to you, Eric, it's because they wanted to grieve together. Mm. And all I did, I stayed out of the way. I cooked, I cleaned. And so many of those hours were they were in the bedroom with the door closed, mm. grieving. Yeah. And what you're saying is that's really important. It is. And you're also saying, because I think the way I'm wired. Yeah. What would you do? Well, I, 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 we have not gone through this, but I, I can picture myself trying to comfort and be there for Anne. She carried the baby. I didn't. She needs me. I need to be strong. I need to be uh, empathetic. I need to hold her and not be thinking about my own grief. I mm-hmm. would just be, it's almost almost like I'd put it away, partially denial. For my I, sake. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. if I have any grief, I'd go do it with my guys. Mm. You know, I'd sit with mm-hmm. them. Obviously, you're, you've dealt with it and you're writing to men to say, and, and I remember reading somewhere in your devotional that you got so nauseated you walked out of the hospital room. Yes, that so was... So you're carrying this. Yeah, that was during the one miscarriage we haven't talked about yet, where Jenny had to have a DNC. Mm. We'd gone to the doctor together. 
he'd done the exam, said, I need to do this procedure. And he said, Eric, you're welcome to sit in this room if you'd like to. And I've watched the birth of all five children without getting lightheaded, nauseated. That stuff doesn't get to me. So I I had the option of like pulling my chair up next to her bed, you know, even facing her and holding her hand during this. And for whatever reason, I I just had started to feel a bit lightheaded. And so I said, oh, I'm just going to sit in the back of the room. And then it kept continuing to get worse. And I just said, Jenny, I'm going to need to leave. And so I got up and left the room and I went out and sat in the waiting room. And that was another hard part that I look back on and go, did I do the right thing? This little voice in my head was saying, you call yourself a man. Hmm. You know, you're supposed to be the leader, the protector, the provider, and you can't even sit with your wife. You left her alone in that room by yourself going through this procedure, just thinking, you know, that I was a failure as a man and as a husband because I didn't have the physical strength that time to stay in the room. That's the accuser, isn't it? It is. Of the brethren. Yeah. I went out into the waiting room and found a a place in the waiting room where nobody else was at because I wanted to be alone, but I felt like Satan sat down next to me (laughs) and started whispering in my ear. And it's not a sin to be weak. In fact, it's the first requirement of being a Christian. Mm. Jesus said, I I did not come to be served, but to serve. The, The entryway into the kingdom of God is by saying, I need Jesus to serve me. You know, you have to become like a child. And Jenny didn't think those things about me. Uh, She wasn't upset about that at all. But it's a matter of finding your identity in who Jesus is and what the Bible actually says about what it means to be a husband and to care for your wife. So Christ uh, became just a great counselor and comfort Mm. to me in the midst of these, these kind of situations. Mm. Yeah, I know that you just said it, going to the Word, seeking His face. I mean, you walk men through Luke, Mm -hmm. you know, and so you find comfort in Christ. And obviously, He went through loss, Mm. as horrific as this. Let's read Luke 19. Should we do that? Yeah, Luke 19, 41. I can remember the day a few years ago standing on this road where Mm. Jesus was and looking into the city Mm. and trying to feel what He felt as he's, you know, riding in, celebrated as the king a week before his death. But in verse 41, it says, As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it Mm. and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. And he predicts what's Mm. to come, which they have Mm. no idea, and yet he knows. And, you know, again, standing there, I I, I, I sort of viscerally felt this emotion like, what would that be like mm-hmm. to have these hopes of what the future is? And then as he's looking at the city, mm-hmm. he knows they do not realize what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. And somehow that comforts you as you're grieving. Yeah, there's several things that can comfort me, comfort us. You know, the thing I think about right now when I read that passage and hear it is, First of all, we see Jesus weeping. Mm. And then the next thing he does when he gets into Jerusalem is he goes straight to the temple and he cleanses the temple. Mm. And so we see him driven by his anger Mm. at the way the temple is being mistreated and his father's house is being mistreated. A close friend of mine who was 43 died unexpectedly of a massive heart attack. And I preached at his funeral. And it was a different passage. It was from... uh, 
John at Lazarus's tomb, Jesus at Lazarus's tomb. But these two things also come up there. First is that Jesus weeps mm-hmm. and he knows that Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead. But this is real weeping. And the word behind that in the Greek is for like burst into tears. This is like full body weeping, like mm-hmm. convulsions, snot running from your nose, saliva down your beard, like ugly crying, mm-hmm. you know. And that's how Jesus felt about the loss of his friend. Mm. And so he identifies with that sort of grieving that we do. And then the other thing is, it says that Jesus, when he saw Mary weeping and the others with her weeping, he was disturbed in spirit. Mm. And then when he is brought to the tomb, it says that he was troubled and disturbed in spirit again. And that word is a word that's used for like war horses when they snort. And so it's not like he was overcome with grief. This is intense rage and anger as he looks at the tomb and he sees and hates death. Those feelings here in Luke, in this passage in Luke, are what drive him not just to the temple, but straight to the cross, mm. where he is determined mm to end our sin, end death, and raise us from the dead as justified children of God, forgiven of our, of our sins. And so as I think of myself sitting there in my own shame, I remember that Jesus hates the accuser who's sitting next to me, accusing me of being guilty of things that are not sin. And his strength, Christ's strength and his rage uh, has... Mm-hmm numbered the days of Satan and has guaranteed my eternal life and resurrection from the dead. And I would say the resurrection of my baby from the dead. And Christ doesn't sit down next to a weeping father and say, boy, you're a failure at man manhood. You know, uh, this isn't what yeah. manhood looks like. He came not as the unflinching leader He came as the suffering servant Mm. uh, who is well acquainted with grief and sorrow. He sits with weeping people and he hears them and sees them and he weeps with them. You know, my story might provide solidarity, but it's not going to provide any lasting comfort. Mm. You know, only the story of Jesus can provide us with healing and eternal absolute comfort. So I wanted to help men walk through an entire gospel in a month and be well acquainted with Jesus and see how much he loves the brokenhearted and is there for them. And I think it's, I know I've done this, it's easy for me to dismiss what you just said, Jesus weeps. Especially when you're going through grief or loss, you feel alone, you feel like uh, God's abandoned. But the two things you just expressed are still happening in real time in our life. Jesus is weeping with us. He's Mm -hmm. also angry. Mm -hmm. This is not what he designed life to be. We live in a broken, sin-stained world. Bad things happen, even to good people. And he's weeping with us. He's right there. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can hear the whisper of the accuser. That should be shut up and say, wow, he's weeping with me. And Mm -hmm. he's angry with me. And Mm -hmm. it's okay that I feel the same things he did because there is a better story and there is hope in the end. And so if there's a listener right now that's, feeling abandoned, I hope you you yeah. realize right now he is with you. He's weeping. Mm-hmm. You are sitting in his lap. I know it may not feel like it. You may feel like he's a thousand miles away, 
That is not true. He is right there holding you, weeping with you, and saying, I feel just as bad as you do, but there is hope. And he's with your wife Yeah, when you can't be with her. He, uh, he's able point. to be with her to comfort and help her when you can't. And even when you can, he's doing it better. That's <laughs> so true. Well, I was thinking as you were sharing that, I think all of us face the questions in those hard times of, God, why? Yeah. Like, where are you? And I don't know if we'll ever get all those answers as we're on this earth. My parents recently both just passed away in the last two years. They were in their 90s. And so I'm not questioning that. Mm-hmm. Like, well, Lord, you've given them a good, long life. But when my sister passed in her 40s, then I'm thinking, I just don't see the point. Yeah. Like, that seems like a terrible mistake. But what you're saying was, I remember doing that same. And I told Jesus that. Like, Lord, this seems dumb. Mm. Like, it just doesn't seem like a good yeah. thing for her four boys yeah. that are now without a mom. But I didn't have a clear answer except that I'm with you mm-hmm. and I will be their mother and father for so many times that you won't even know about, Anne, but you can trust me. Yeah. And that's not easy just to say, okay, I'm yeah. going to trust you. But yeah. it's the best thing that we can do. Were these words that you and Jenny spoke to each other? I mean, did you need each other? Or talk about it together? We did need each other and we did talk about these Mm. sorts of things together. I don't know that I talked about all the things I was dealing with with her. I tend to stuff things, and then I process through writing. And so it's when Risen Motherhood really asked, they asked me if I would write an article for their website on how fathers uh, experience miscarriage to help the mothers that come to their ministry. And so writing that, I really had to go back and relive those experiences and begin to name the things I was feeling, you know, like anger and shame and loss, all these things like questions, uncertainty. And that was really good for me. And so that that enabled me to talk about this much more clearly, which is what I hope this book does. You know, it opens a door. It does. And there's a little journaling space, you know, for some questions. And I, I think it will be helpful for men as they walk through miscarriage to be examining the experience in some way, just paying attention to it, not even asking what's right and what's wrong. Just pay attention to it and write it down. And you don't grieve things in a week, especially the loss of a child at any stage is a manifold grief that you can't understand all at once because 18 years later, that child would have been graduating from high school. There's a new grief, you know. One of the things I think, and you said it well, you know, about not having all the answers to our questions, I hope that comes through in this devotional because throughout Luke, we find him encountering a lot of suffering people and he doesn't give answers Mm -hmm. as to why they're suffering. He might say it's not because anyone sinned. That's to protect the suffering person, but he still doesn't say why this person's suffering this way and not this person. We don't get those answers uh, this side of eternity, and I don't know if we get them then, but we do get Jesus, mm. and that's better than answers. Yeah. Now, is that the kind of stuff that you encourage a husband to talk to his wife about? Because when you said you you know, sort of found 
yourself processing your grief through writing, I would do the well, same thing. That's and what I, I was going to say. Point every I, I was like, I'd go preach because, a sermon on it and yes. you hear it sitting yeah. in the congregation. Like, why don't I'm you talk to here me? Like, yeah. like, I've, I've never heard this in my life. And now you're in front <laughs> look of... How, look how... Now you're, my animated. now you're in front of thousands of people because as a wife and as a woman... We long for that mm-hmm. connection of knowing what our men are going through because we want to experience it together. That's why your devotional is so brilliant. Mm. So you tell the, us, Anne. I'm, I ask Eric, but you tell I, us men, should we be sharing that with our wives? Yeah, and I, I know for you, Dave, you wouldn't have processed it until you sat down, maybe read a devotional, mm. and then journaled your thoughts about it. I don't think you were trying to stay away from it necessarily, although you don't like to feel bad. You'd run to play basketball or something instead <laughs> of feeling bad. But if you brought me the page of the journal that you wrote, mm. it brings tears to my eyes because we as wives long to know our husband's hearts. Mm. We long to know what they're feeling. We tend to tell our husbands what we're feeling if if you ask, or sometimes you don't even need to ask. We just tell you. But as women, we long to know our men, and that's a beautiful way to know our men. And it's not that you're trying to stay away from grieving. It's that you're not always sure how to process it. So it could be an incredible gift. Eric, this has been a gift to us, and I think so many because it's not really talked about. Mm. So thank you for having the courage to enter into this world. Thank you for having me. We want to thank Dave and Ann Wilson and their team for another edition of Family Life Today. Although our programs are produced in America, the issues facing families like forgiveness, communication and taking care of our kids transcend national borders. These issues profoundly affect relationships everywhere. In Australia, family life is known as power to change and our mission is to effectively develop godly families, the kind of families that change the world one home at a time. A key part of our mission includes strengthening marriages and families all around the world. We want to do whatever we can to bring timeless truths to the challenges you face as you seek to strengthen your family and join us in changing the world. If you'd like to listen to today's program again, visit our website families.powertochange.org.au and select the podcast tab where you will find the previous fortnight's programs available. Until tomorrow at the same time, God's richest blessings on your family.